With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this 22nd day of August, 2019. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today our guest speaker is John Dorley, and uh, we're going to do some discussing on this new claims uh, uh, program they have out here. We want to be sure everyone is as well informed on it as you know we they can possibly be. So. Uh, it might sound repetitious to some of you, but bear with us. Uh, it's still in the beginning stages, and we want to want it to be where a veteran can make an educated decision when they're dealing with this stuff. So, how are you doing today, John? I'm doing good, Gerald. I'm doing good, considering. So. Um... Yeah, yeah. Calling from Minnesota, St. Paul, Minneapolis, six one two area code. Uh weather's nice. We're we're getting ready for winter if you can believe it. But uh uh no, it's all good, Gerald. How you doing? Well, I'm uh hanging in there and uh hopefully uh keep hanging in there. <laughs> Seems like no, every no. day. You got another issue or two, Gerald. You you touched on a, a real important topic uh, with the VA, and, and and I don't think it can re- be repetitious at all because because things are changing on the landscape of the VA all the time with this new Appeals Modernization Act they call it, the AMA, the Appeals Modernization Act. Um, it's still in its infancy. There's still a lot of growing pains with the VA. And there's still a lot of growing pains with us advocates out in the field uh, trying to jig and jag with the VA to make sure they're they're interpreting it right and making sure that I'm interpreting it right. So, well, we all have growing pains with it, but but my clients, uh, the ones that I represent, uh, uh, we're getting through it pretty well. I think overall it's going to be a, a good thing. It's going to replace the old legacy appeals process, which, which took – many years to to uh get a decision if it went through the board of veterans appeals so timeliness is a good thing but implementing this new appeals program is has, has definitely shown to, to to be some growing pains with the va that i found well with it uh you know i think it's going to take probably 
he might say this, but it takes several years before we really get the. Uh, is this going to be successful or isn't it? And and two, you know, it's an educational process for the VA also. It's not only just the veterans side of things. Uh, the VA, uh, they're going through a learning process, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and and it's the VA, the Appeals Management Office, also known as the AMO, that you would think they would have it down tight. But what I'm finding, um, and 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 I get it, but what I'm finding is is the people that are supposed to know at the VA, uh, the rating specialists, the decision review officers, the coaches, even upper management. Um, they don't have it down as far as exactly how this Appeals Modernization Act is supposed to go. They think they do, but lo and behold, I'll get letters from uh, different VA regional office concerning appeals that I filed that I, that I know darn well are incorrect. And so I have to contact the assistant director or the director or the Veterans Service Center manager and politely explain to them, this letter came out, you're saying I can't fight, I can't file this type of appeal because of blah, 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 where in reality I can, and I'm always right in that case because I'm never going to contact uh, upper management unless I'm 100% know I'm right. So uh, uh, I politely accept the fact that they're going to correct it, but, but it gets frustrating because you would think the higher level regional offices would, would have a good grasp of this appeals modernization act and not have to rely on uh, myself or or other vet service officers to correct them. So I see that going on a lot. But, but the good thing, guys, is that uh, the VA is, is very, very teachable. I mean, they, they recognize errors, and they, they correct them really quick. So it, it's a working relationship. But, but, Gerald, I think you hit the nail on the head. I, I suspect that it's going to be at least three to four years before this is implemented to where everybody is hitting on all cylinders. Right now we're – or grinding gears, if you if you look at it in a stick shift, you trying to trying to get from first to second, second to third, and just grinding that gear and popping that clutch right now. So we'll we'll get it down, but but uh, uh, it, there are some growing pains. What I've been finding with this appeals modernization act. Yeah, it it's going to take a lot of work on both sides, uh, uh, and course the better educated you are on the subject uh, the you know in the process I don't know if they have a, a regular uh, book or are they depending on the uh, uh, let's say they seem to utilize that M21 a lot or are they going to come out with a like a guide directory uh, for the VA or for this process? Under the AMA, Gerald, the, the Appeals Modernization Act, they're taking specific directive from the Appeals Management Office is what I've been seeing anyway. So so when something comes up that the VA regional offices can't answer, they take direction from the, the AMO, the Appeals Management Office. But as far as a specific book or guideline, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's out there. Uh, but it's all legalese. Uh, I, I don't think it's very readable friendly. Uh, 
I feel like myself, I have a pretty good handle on it. Uh, I know in the beginning stages of what the VA used to call the RAMP program, Rapid Appeals Modernization Program, which has since now changed to the Appeals Modernization Act, I, I would just I would just check the internet anywhere I could find any reliable information on RAMP, and and now the Appeals Modernization Act. Uh, there's a lot of websites out there that are credible websites that, uh, at least for the up-to-date information they had at the time, uh, was pretty informative. And so um, I rely myself on everything that I've learned to this date, and I'm also learning from uh, some key individuals with the Appeals Management Office, uh, some of the sharper individuals with the VA who, whose main job is to interpret RAMP and, and uh, implement RAMP and the Appeals Modernization Act. Uh, I picked their brain quite a bit, so uh, I feel very comfortable myself, uh, but unfortunately I think there's some VA officials that are in key positions with this new appeals program that are somewhat winging it, shooting from the hip. And... Um, so I have to call them on that, and all it does is just waste my time and their time, and and most importantly, the veterans' time. Well, but but I've been, you know, Gerald, I've been a proponent of of ramp and the Appeals Modernization Act. I always have been. In the beginning, when everyone was 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 nervous about it, and you had a lot of the high-priced law firms that I read their websites, they were staying away from it, but. I've always been a big proponent of it because I knew what the legacy appeals process was like, and that was junk. And I thought to myself, anything is better than the old legacy appeals process. So I jumped into this, this new appeals process with both feet, and uh, I, I don't regret that at all. I, I, I'm still a proponent of it. I, I, I think you can measure success by what you had before, and we had junk before. And, and right now we've got a lot better appeals program. And it, it should get better as people get more familiar with it. I don't think it's going to make everyone happy, but uh, what they had before um, uh, was just terrible. Uh, have Have you uh, been involved with it long enough to recognize if there's any improvement, or you know, are you winning more more claims with it percentage wise? I would say I'm winning more um, than the old legacy appeals process. Um, I think when the appeals management uh, process gets fully implemented and everyone's comfortable with it, uh, we're going to have more success. Um, I, I think that, that certainly timeliness is, is a lot better. Uh, we're, we're putting pot, uh, money in veterans' pockets a lot quicker. Um, I, I'm, I'm still not satisfied and happy with some of the decisions that are coming out under the Appeals Management Act. Um, and I, I predict what I have always predicted before is that unless these rating specialists and DROs start making correct decisions, I'm not, I'm not saying they have to all be approved because, quite frankly, you, know, you win some, you lose some. But if, if you're going to deny something, do it correctly. Because uh, yeah. I've been filing appeals left and right to the Board of Veterans Appeals. So when we exhaust all our appeals with the uh, Appeals Modernization Act, I have no other option but to go to the Board of Veterans Appeals. I've, I must have sent probably 50 appeals so far to the, to the Board of Veterans Appeals as a re result of the Appeals Modernization Act. And, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I talked to some of my peers, uh, attorneys, and agents throughout the country, and, and they're filing just as many. Um, 
and, and that's really a reflection on, on the quality of work on the rating specialist. Uh, the decision review officers who are a, a level above the rating specialist, they're, they're doing a lot better. But uh, the initial decision under the Appeals Modernization Act, which is done by a rating specialist, uh, not good, inadequate. Oh, so it's still going to take a lot of work. Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a work uh, educational work, I think. Uh, schooling, uh, probably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're they're schooled in the old ways, and now we got a new criteria, and they're not getting transferred over uh, or reschooled or however they want to word it. But, uh, yeah, I can see that. Well, and, Gerald, they have a checks and balances with the VA. So I, I, I don't even so much blame the, the, the rating specialist who maybe has three years of experience. Uh, they're supposed to be supervised by uh, coaches, assistant coaches. Uh, the coaches are supposed to be supervised by uh, the Veterans Service Center manager, and just like in the military, and it goes right up the line to the assistant director and the director. So, so I, I think if there is more supervision at the lower level, if, if these assistant coaches would review these rating decisions closer that these rating specialists are issuing out, I think we'd catch a lot of errors. When I say errors, Gerald, I, I'm talking blatant errors. I'm, I'm talking about uh, uh, for example, uh, uh, a rating specialist will deny a claim because there's no evidence of service medical records. Well, I'll go through the service medical records. It'll take me five minutes to find three pages of the veteran complaining of the left knee or the veteran complaining of some other disability. I mean, that's a blatant error. So then I have to file an appeal and say, well, you said the, the knee was denied based on the lack of service medical records took me all the five minutes to identify these service medical records. I don't, I don't get catty like that, but, but that's what, what I feel like saying, but I don't tell them that. But I appeal based on the fact that here are the service medical records that you said weren't there. Therefore, call the veteran in for a compensation exam and have an examiner determine if it's at least as likely as not that the complaints of left knee on active duty are part and parcel to the uh, left knee problems today. And so, and they do it. If they don't, then... I go to the Board of Veterans' Appeals or a higher-level review, and uh, those are the types of mistakes that I'm seeing. They're, they're real obvious ones. I see a lot of mistakes on effective dates, um, for example. Um, I, I'm seeing a lot of decisions coming out with an appeal that, that's effectively prosecuted under appeal that could go back two years. Yet they'll, they'll grant the appeal. Maybe they'll, they'll rate PTSD they'll bump it up from 30% to 50%, but, but they'll make it effective the date of the compensation exam, which was two months ago. So, so basically a veteran was waiting a good year for the compensation exam, uh, and, and, and the effective date was only the date of the compensation exam, so he's being penalized basically for the fact that the VA sat on it for so long, where in reality the effective date uh, should have gone back to the original date of claim prosecuted under appeal. Now, the VA will come back and say, well, we can only go back as far as it's factually ascertainable that he or she met that higher level. Well, then I counter with the fact, well, 
you're looking at reasonable doubt as likely as not, CFR 3.102. There's a lot of different things you can do to to get that effective date correct. So that's another thing, Gerald, I'm seeing is effective dates are uh, are getting missed by these by these raiders, which is causing a lot of problems with these veterans because they're expecting a, a decision uh, that they started X number of months ago or X number of years ago, uh, the effective date to go all the way back. And so we yeah. have to appeal it if it doesn't. Yeah. Huh. That is, I can see that happening because I think it happened to me. But um, that effective date, they, for whatever reason, they try to minimize that and get it as, uh, wipe as much out of it, uh, all from it as they can. And uh, I don't believe that should be their actual uh, job. Really, uh, try to beat a veteran out of their, uh, you know, original effective date. Uh, yeah. Maybe they, but uh, uh, it should be is this a legitimate claim? Does the veteran have, you know, is there a nexus here? We got medical evidence and all this and that. The, the effective date should be when you filed your claim. What what the VA has to do, Gerald, is if they if they grant an increase, they can only go back to the date that it's factually ascertainable that that veteran met that higher level. Um, so so there's a lot of belief out there that it automatically goes back to the original effective date prosecuted under appeal. Um, uh-huh. So that that that's the frustrating part is that legally they can only go back to the date that they see evidence, medical evidence that the disability was increased to that level. Now, of course, again, I, I, I rebut, uh, I, I look at the evidence of record. If I can find any evidence of record uh, that shows that they met that higher level, then I use that. Um, they, can't, they can't go back just because the veteran says it. Uh, we have to look for medical evidence. But if I can't find anything, you know, that, that old adage that reasonable doubt is likely as not that that person met that higher level back that far. And the veteran didn't just wake up one day and all of a sudden exhibit symptomology of PTSD at 70% rather than the 30%. That doesn't just yeah. apply to PTSD. I'm just using that as an example. I mean, that could apply to anything. But, but yeah, I mean, it'd be nice, Gerald, if the VA just rubber stamped it, went all the way back to the date that it's, that's been appealed. And, and uh, but, but where I'm seeing the VA is, is looking at, they're not looking at the file close enough, and they're only, they're establishing uh, an earlier date, but a lot of times that earlier date is only the date of the last compensation exam, which I just had one case the other day. Um, he, he kept the appeal open for two to three years. Uh, they sat on it and sat on it and sat on it. I, you know, I kept bugging them and bugging them. Finally, we had to get a congressional involved. Finally, the person got his compensation exam two months ago. Well, they said, okay, you're 100% now, but we're only going to make it uh, effective the date that uh, you had your compensation exam. We're not going to go all the way back to two years, even though you've been waiting oh. for us. So. Oh, that's not right, is it? Is it? Well, their argument is that the, the compensation exam is the first time they saw that it was uh, medically, factually ascertainable that that person met the higher level. They didn't oh, bother man. to look at 
the veteran statement, the, the testimonials, uh, you know, anything that, that could establish an earlier effective date. I'm going to get that vet, the earlier effective date. I know it. But, but uh, it's just the principle of it that, you know, we have to go round and round. It, it, these, it's these type of claims that really bog down the system, and, and uh, it, it's just going to make it worse, I think. Do you see a backlog piling up anywhere? I mean, not under this new system. I do. I do. And and I'll try to explain it, how the backlog has already fallen. So, so what happens, Gerald, is, is you have, uh, when you get a VA decision after February 19th of 2019, when the AMA officially came into, into play, when you get a decision after that, you're given the opportunity to, to file an appeal under three lanes. One is a, a supplemental lane, one is a higher level lane, and one is just direct to the Board of Veterans Appeals. So if you go the supplemental lane, that means you have new and relevant evidence that you want to submit with the appeal that you want the VA to look at. Um, that's what's getting backlogged. That supplemental lane, they're about eight, nine months out. Um, so that, that, that's where the backlog is happening. Now, to expound on that a little bit more, I brought up the higher-level review, the higher-level lane. Uh, that's basically saying I want to appeal it, but I don't have any new and relevant evidence, but I want a decision review officer to look at it. Someone who's never looked at it before, I want a DRO, or they call them DROs, to look at it and make a different decision. Now, they're turning those in around, around about 60 days, 60 to 90 days, um, unless there's a new exam that needs to be had, which sometimes happens. A DRO will say, yeah, you failed to call this veteran in for an exam, or he did have an exam and it wasn't it wasn't adequate. Uh, so those can extend out a little bit. But the higher level reviews, uh, those are kicking out fairly quick, and because they're being done by DROs, they're better decisions. Uh, but under the supplemental lane review, that, that that's where the backlog's happening, and I and I think that was something unexpected by the VA. Wow. Uh, the backlog's going to tell us a lot, I believe. Uh, right. That's going to that's going to show where where we've <laughs> hit the corner post, I believe. Uh, uh, so we'll have to keep an eye out where where the backlog starts piling up. Then we know we got a uh, a real issue with that, and and. Uh, would there be any way to avoid the pileup and get around it? Do they have a detour or anything you can get around me? But one of those backlogs? Well, you, you could always ask for an expedite of a claim, whether it's in appeal status or not. That's one way to get around it. And, and the VA is pretty strict on the expedite clause. Uh, the law specifically says that if your claim's at a VA regional office, not a BVA, uh, but VA regional office, uh, you have to be 85 years or older to get an expedite or have a terminal illness or very, very serious health consequences that could potentially end your life prematurely um, or have a financial hardship. And the VA defines a financial hardship as being homeless or potentially being homeless. So if you have an eviction notice or, or, or home foreclosure notice or anything like that, the VA will expedite your claim. They, they're pretty good about doing that. Now, 
If your claim's at the Board of Veterans' Appeals, all of that applies, but you only have to be 75 years of age or older. So there, there's a little bit of a break there with the Board of Veterans' Appeals. So, so Gerald, that, that's one way to, to get your claim expedited, if you will, uh, not only at the initial stage, the non-appeal stage, but also the appeal stage. And the VA is pretty good about that, I, I will say. When they get evidence of an expedite, uh, they will uh, they, they will do that. Now, they're very strict about it, too. You know, in, in the day, if you knew someone, maybe you could get someone's claim through faster than normal if they didn't get the, uh, if they didn't have the uh, criteria for expedite. But now they've been pretty much told uh, that unless you meet one of those criteria, you're waiting just like everyone else. Uh huh. Well, my my claim's been expedited for about five years now. Oh wow! <laughs> There's no so expedite I'll, there. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and you know, Gerald, and if anyone is out there listening, um, they want to call in and 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 talk about their particular issue. Um, we've had callers come in before and and uh, and worked out pretty well. So, yeah, let me give out our number here, John. Uh, if we have any listeners out there that'd like to call in with a question or comment, uh, please call in. Our number is three four seven two three seven four eight one nine. Now that number once again is. Three four seven two three seven four eight one nine, and then hit number one whenever, uh, and that'll bring you into the queue here with us. And we see you. We'll try to get you on there, where uh, you can ask John some questions or give some comments. We'd be glad to hear from you. Yeah, and, and, and uh, Gerald, I've had veterans all over the world say that they listen in on this podcast or you know, had dot com podcast and they like, call me up and say, hey, I heard you on the had dot com and and uh I had to talk to a guy in uh in uh, uh Iraq who's at the consulate there who listened uh-huh. faithfully and, and ended up being a client of mine. So I mean we're out there. You guys are out there, so keep spreading the word. Yeah. Yes, we are and uh, my lands, I don't know how many different countries listen to this. Uh, John may know, but uh, anyone, anyone we, with the internet, we have more, more listeners than, than you realize. Yeah. I mean, uh, kind of hard to tell here right now, but uh, and a lot of them here is through the archives, I believe. Uh, but uh, Anyway, we try to get the word out the best we can and helpful information and help some veterans. You know, Gerald, talking about that uh, Appeals Modernization Act, I, I touched on the, uh, uh, the, the three avenues of, uh, that you can opt into when you appeal under the AMA, uh, Supplemental Lane Review, the Higher Level Review, and, the, and you can go right to the Board of Veterans' Appeals if you want. Uh, you could say I've had it with these local VA regional offices. They aren't listening to me. I'm just going to send it to an administrative law judge at the Board of Veterans Appeals. You could do that. And, and overall, the law judges are sharp. I mean, they, they, 
and they're they're fairly liberal. I mean, they, if they see a claim that could be granted, they'll grant it. Um, or if they see a claim that needs to be remanded back to the regional office for no, more work, they'll do that. The only drawback with, with the Board of Veterans' Appeals is, on average, with this new Appeals Act, uh, you're waiting about a year. But I tell you, a year is a lot better than the old legacy appeals process with the Board of Veterans' Appeals. You're waiting about four or five years. Yes. Yeah, a, a year uh, would be a walk in the park for a lot of, uh, you know, uh, compared to the old system. And, and, and in my opinion, about... I, I think they ought to have a time frame on it, a year maximum. Uh, uh, there's no reason any claim should go over a year before it's been settled. Yep. You know, it'd be nice, Gerald, if they if they they held their fire their feet to the fire and said, "You've got a year to make a decision. Anything over a year is automatically granted to the veteran." I would, yeah, I, yeah. I've said that for years because I've seen, you know, there's a lot of veterans waited a lot, you know, so many years, and even uh, uh, passed away during, you know, they died during the. The process, and that's in me. And that's where it's important that if, if – and we can never predict when we're going to die. Uh, no. But but you, you can get a pretty good gauge from your – if you're seriously ill, you can usually get a pretty good gauge from your doctor, especially if it's cancer or something to that effect. And and all you need to do is, is, is get, get the report or get a, do, a doctor's letter into the hands of the VA. They will expedite those claims. They're supposed to, and if they don't, uh, you need to rattle their cage with your attorney or your agent or your VSO. Uh, but, uh, but you know, as life is, you know, unexpectedly we die, uh, and, and I, I, I've seen it where where a veteran's claim or a veteran dies and, and the claim dies with them because there's no spouse, uh, which which leads into a, a law that should be reiterated that uh, with the VA the law says that. If a veteran dies, uh, the spouse can carry on the claim just as if the veteran was living and can develop the claim, present new and relevant evidence, can, can pick up the ball right from where the le- veteran left off. Um, but yeah. unfortunately, in those cases where the veteran is, is not married, um, if they die, the, you know, the claim dies with them. Well, that's true, and. Uh, and the one, even a lot of them that that are married, their spouses, uh, you know, when the veteran passes on, they get so sick and tired of it all. They don't want nothing more to do with it, and yep. and they they totally lose what benefits they could have got. And that's sad when you see that. And we've seen a lot of it over the years here. Uh, well. We, we we hope that, that the veterans will make it very clear to their spouse um, that this is what they've got going on with the VA. Uh, in fact, my, my clients, I've got a handful of clients that um, are seriously ill, that, that quite likely may not be around in the next two or three years. And I make it very clear to them, you make sure that your wife or your husband knows how to get a hold of me when that time comes. And I promise you that I will carry on your claim after you pass away for your wife. Uh-huh. And, and 
I talk to the wife and say, you know, this is this is what you know you need to do when when you feel comfortable, when you think it's time to give me a call, let me know. Well, first of all, let me know right away that your husband has passed away, so I can notify the VA. But but when 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 you get to the point where you feel comfortable calling me and uh, going over your options, please do that. But you're right, Cheryl. I, I think that. Uh, Many spouses, uh, they see what their husband or wife had went through with the VA. Not only are they going to deal with their the loss of their loved one, but now they got to take on that bureaucratic process with the VA, and it, it would be too overwhelming, and they just don't want to do it. But I, I guess for myself, Gerald, I, I like to think that I'm going to bear the brunt of the legalese and the problems with the VA uh, to take that over for that uh, widow or widower. So. Yeah, you're right. You know, some of them don't don't follow up, and it's 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 sad. Uh, you know, we did several shows a while back on the end of life folders, uh, where you put all your pertinent information in one location, and of course, one of them would be the form uh, uh, allow the wife to proceed on or the spouse to proceed on with your claim, uh, and and uh, which we have some more planned in the future on that same topic. But uh, everyone should have an end of life folder with their insurance policies, and, uh, DD-214s, award letters, uh, or, you know, anything that, that might be helpful because many times uh, the spouse is not uh, totally up to date on everything you've been doing. And, and make sure that an end-of-life folder includes uh, my card or, or yes. the card that, that the veteran is working with, whether it's an agent such as myself and fields agent or an attorney or uh, a, a national service officer like the DAV or VFW or American Legion or even your, your state or county service officer. Uh, make sure that your end-of-life folder includes a point of contact for your, your wife or husband. So, I mean, it's going to be hard enough for them dealing with the loss, but uh, um, having the direction to go to the VA is going to be a lot easier for them. Yes, it will. And uh, it's a small amount of time spent that could reap a lot of benefits for your spouse. And and uh, loved ones. And so uh, everyone needs to, if you don't have one, go ahead and generate one. Just start it up. You'd be surprised how quick you'll gather data. <laughs> uh, well, and, and, Gerald, you'd be surprised how many um, widows, uh, mostly widows, but sometimes widowers will call me and say, uh, my husband or wife was a veteran, and they weren't drawing any compensation at all, but but I'm just calling you to see if there's anything that I could possibly be eligible for, um, and and there's nothing wrong in doing that. Um, there there are programs with the VA called pension. It's based on financial need, uh, so that there is that program. If you meet those pram- parameters, you could collect a, a widow or widower's pension. Um, the other thing is if even if the veteran wasn't in receipt of any disability compensation. If, if if their cause of death, or at least a contributory cause of death, was related to something that happened on active duty, uh, that person
person could be eligible for what's called dependency and indemnity compensation, which would pay uh, that widower or widower uh, $1,400, $1,500 a month, uh, free health insurance, and multitude of state benefits, depending upon what state you live in. I had a case not that long ago where the widow called me out of the blue and, and didn't think she was eligible for anything. And so we got to talking, and, and, and I asked her, I said, well, how'd your husband die? What, what, what would the death certificate say? Well, uh, you know, something to do with the lungs, she said. I'll take a, why don't you get that fax, you'll fax that death certificate to me. Found out uh, he had congestive lung failure was uh, the primary cause. Um, and found out he served in the Navy. And he served aboard ship. And uh, as Jay Basser knows, uh, a lot of asbestos on those ships. And so what we were able to find is that uh, uh, this particular veteran who died uh, did have a, a, a post-active duty asbestos particulates in his lungs. And uh, we were able to show that it was at least as likely as not that he can contracted uh, asbestos as a result of this military service, and we got her benefits. So that, that doesn't happen often, but, but those are the types of stories where you at least would encourage someone to make a call to someone uh, like a vet service officer and, and just inquire. I don't know if I'm eligible for anything, but I thought I'd call and find out. That's right, and it, it's uh, certainly worth looking into. And uh, rather than throwing your hands up and saying, well, this is the way it's going to be. <laughs> uh, sometimes there, there is uh, something there, and and you you just didn't know it. Takes takes someone that deals with these claims all the time to to recognize a lot of different you know different issues that most people overlook. It's a, it's a complicated bureaucratic process uh, that the VA has. Um, I, I wind through it because I've been doing it almost 30 years, and I better know what I'm doing, doing it that long. So it's, it's, it comes fairly easy to me, um, and, and what, what cases don't come easy to me, I, I can research and, and investigate and get the answers that I need. Not every case is simple. Um, there's a lot of studying in the M21 and the CFR and the different regulations and manuals just to make sure that what you're doing is correct. The last thing you want to put in is a frivolous claim and, and get your client all excited uh, and then come to find out you misinterpreted the law and, and there's no evidence and, and, and there's there's no benefit to be had. The last thing you want to do is tuck tail and tell a, a veteran to say, yeah, I, I, I misinterpreted the law and actually you're not going to get anything. You know, I don't think I've ever had to do that, but, but it, it does bother me that uh, uh, there are some uh, uh, service officers that just kind of wing it, throw claims in, and and uh, hope for the best. I, I know that's happening because I've actually taken over uh, claims from, from agents and attorneys and VSOs, and I look through it, and I'm, I'm thinking, my God, what were they doing? What were they thinking when they filed a claim this way? And so... You know, I'm not picking at anyone, but but it's truth. I mean, it's fact. It's absolutely truthful. Some of these development of these claims that I've taken over, you just rub your head and think, how can you represent clients this way? Well, that's a sad story there. 
because we have too much of that across the country, and that has went a long way to contribute to the misery of the veterans today uh, in the claims process. Right, right, right. There again, we go back to schooling. They're, they're, they missed something in the schooling. Uh, uh, they're just not properly trained or something. Or the ones that's, like you say, they all have their coaches and what have you. I don't know what they're, they're doing. Uh, someone's missing the boat out there. And... Uh, uh, well, and Cheryl, I can sense the frustration. Uh, you know, in 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 the VA's benefit, um, they are turning out some some awesome claims too. And and you know, I don't want to say every claim is disastrous, but uh, on on a on a one to ten scale, I suppose you know probably thirty percent of the claims are getting kicked out. That that probably or were denied that should have been approved, but but uh, um, we're getting some real good claims decisions from not only rating specialists but but decision review officers and and uh, so so I I don't want to sound like everything is coming out of the VA is poop, but <laughs> it's it's, <laughs> it's it's enough where you, you definitely have to to keep them on their toes. But but yeah, you're right, Jerry. Some some of these claims decisions coming out. Uh, they're supposed to be the rating specialists. are supposed to be supervised, and 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 uh, you'd like to think there's going to be a second set of eyes on some of these things, but you wonder if if that's happening because how can two sets of eyes of VA officials uh, miss some of these uh, uh, decisions when they're so blatantly uh, uh, denied erroneously? Yeah, uh, second set of eyes would help. I I don't know what their process is, but uh, I, you know I do know they have coaches and uh, supervisors. Uh, you know, if they have a question or something, they could ask them. Or do they uh, go over their work? Uh, you know, just come through like an inspector through a plan. They just check a part here and part there. Uh, I think they audit. Wrong. Yeah. I, I what I'm thinking is that these these initial rating specialists, they're they're allowed to make decisions without any oversight. They they assume that they've had the education and experience and training to make decisions without immediate oversight. But but I think what's happening, what I've been told anyway, is is that uh, um, they will audit these uh, decisions. Maybe maybe a coach will look at one out of every ten decisions that a rating specialist makes, um, only because of the fact that they're they're spread so thin that they can't look at every decision. So um, it, it'd be nice if they had the manpower to to review every decision that comes out from some of these rating specialists, but that that just doesn't seem the case because after all that that's what appeals are made for. You'd like to you'd like to think that they would review these decisions twice before they go out uh, to avoid an appeal. But, but at the end of the day, you get a lot of swings to the plate, Gerald. Um, you get a decision, you can appeal it. You've got different lanes. 
you get denied, you can appeal it further. You can present new and material evidence. You can cite cues, which are clear and unmistakable errors. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat with the VA. Uh, the problem is, is the timeliness. Um, yeah. If you don't fall into one of those categories of expedite, uh, you're waiting a long time for benefits that you probably should have gotten four years ago. You're right. You're right. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, hopefully, that'll change here in the next few years. Um, let's hope. I got my fingers crossed anyway that this this whole thing will fall into place and and function a lot more smoothly. But if you, we start seeing a, a huge backlogs piling up, we we know we have a situation in that area. And uh, yep. Uh, mm-hmm. I. I- you know, Gerald, I think that, uh, and I've said this before on previous shows, I started doing this in October of 1992. And uh, for me, in my opinion, this Appeals Modernization Act and the Rapid Appeals Modernization Program that preceded it, the RAMP program, is by far the biggest evolution, the biggest change that I've seen in the Department of Veterans Affairs. I mean, they've been trying to implement different programs try to skin the cat different ways to, to, to try to speed up claims and the appeals process and the whole thing. But uh, to me, this is by far the biggest program of change that I've seen. And for the most part, despite the growing pains I talked about before, I, I, I think it's, I don't, I don't think, I know, it, it's running a lot better uh, than the old legacy appeals process. And I think, you know, give it time, it, it's going to get better. Just take yeah. time. But but the backlog is coming with the supplemental lane reviews under the appeals process that I've noticed. So if you're appealing something and, and you have new and relevant evidence you want to submit with it, unless you have a financial hardship or, or some sort of expedite like that, you're probably waiting uh, eight, nine months on average. Well... Let's hope that don't start growing from eight, nine months to a year, year and a half. Uh, well, I think it is growing. I think that, you know, if you'd have talked to me about this three months ago, I would say the supplemental lane reviews, you know, they're kicking those out in 60 days, but, but that it's growing and growing. And, and, and I, it, it's really a product of the original decision. That That's really what it is. Well, at least allow them to nail down the location of the the problem, uh, where they have the problems, and where they need to concentrate on on making uh, uh, necessary adjustments. And you get you get a lot of swings at the plate under this appeals program too. Um, it's like a revolving circle. You're always protecting that original date prosecuted under appeal, even if it goes to the Board of Veterans' Appeals. And if the Board of Veterans' Appeals denied it under the old legacy appeals process, your only option was the Court of Veterans' Appeals to keep that original date open, effectively prosecuted under appeal. Uh, Under this Appeals Modernization Act, you can get denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, 
you still have a year to present new and relevant evidence. And if that new and relevant evidence is persuasive, persuasive enough to grant the claim, you could still be compensated all the way back to the original date of claim prosecuted under appeal. Whereas under the old legacy appeals process with the Board of Veterans Appeals, if it was denied, you, you, your only option was the Court of Veterans Appeals. And, Gerald, you have some experience with that. That, that takes yeah. a, a heck of a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I've been there twice. <laughs> but, uh, well, uh, you know, where you can come in with new uh, material and re- relevant evidence, you can come in with a new IMO, can't you, from a different sure. doctor? Uh, that, that, that would satisfy that. Absolutely. And, uh, unless you found new, med- you know, old medical records or something that they hadn't mentioned prior. Uh, right. So there is a, well, a and chance. That, and that's a good point, Gerald. Yep. A good, a good independent medical opinion from a qualified physician uh, would constitute what the VA now calls new and relevant evidence. They used to call it new and material evidence, and I have to catch myself every once in a while. But but now they call it new and relevant evidence. I don't, you know, I don't think that you know they had to change it. I think we all get the the meaning of what it means. But uh, uh-huh. you know, a good solid independent medical opinion from from a physician uh, that that puts it together well and identifies the facts and identifies the fact that they've reviewed the service medical records and or the VA claims file. And, and it's always, it's always best that the doctor examines the veteran. I've always said that. Uh, I think there are a lot of, of uh, physicians out there that, that practice in this type of thing. And, and, and they don't, uh, they, it's not their policy to actually review the veteran, examine the veteran. It's just all they do is review the medical records. And I haven't come across a, a DRO or a DRO with the VA regional office yet that doesn't put a lot of emphasis probative value on a doctor that actually puts the hands on the veteran. Uh-huh. Uh, now there's, te- there is telemedicine, which is, 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 is a compromise, I think. But um, I always tell veterans, if you're going to get me an independent medical opinion, uh, go see the doctor, have that doctor certify. I physically examined Joel veteran or Jill veteran today. Yeah. And these are my findings. That's exactly right. I think that's the way to go. But like you say, they're putting more uh, emphasis on this tele-medical um, stuff, too. Uh, I don't know how well the VA uh, accepts that type of material. I don't know anyone that has actually used it. I guess they have. Uh that they could uh, be examined over, say, if you had yeah. Skype or, you know, some kind of video hookup. Uh, well, they're, they're using it a lot for the VA Medical Center, uh, especially uh, for medical care. Um, and and it's, it's fine because that doctor recognizes that veteran on, on the TV screen. So that doctor knows this is, John Dorley or, or, or uh-huh. you know, whoever it is, uh, where it gets a little shaky for, for claims work. And, and I, 
can only speak from my experience. I wouldn't speak for any droves or, or coaches or rating specialists, but, but they, you know, if it's a telemedicine independent medical opinion, who, who's to say that's the correct veteran on that screen? I mean, that, that doctor may have never seen that veteran before. I mean, who's to say it is or isn't? I mean, I'm not saying veterans are dishonest. I'm just saying that these these decision makers with the VA, they have very specific rules and guidelines that they have to go by. Um, I, I, I think telemedicine is great for healthcare in, in some cases, but when it comes to uh, independent medical opinions and doctors that are doing an examination for a veteran, I don't like telemedicine. I, I, I don't, at least at least that uh, route anyway. I, I, I like the veteran to go see the doctor. And maybe that uh, requires some travel. Uh, but, that but would be my recommendation. They actually go get have hands put on. Uh, but the, they are pushing tele, telemedicine. Uh, even the BA is. Uh, uh, but uh, I don't know for a situation such as a claim. I believe I would uh, utilize a go go to a, a doctor and and get get a real IMO. Yep, yep, I agree. But we just don't know enough about it uh, that. Uh, it could work. I guess it could in some cases. But, uh, but yeah, just talking a little bit more about the Appeals Modernization Act that I was kind of droning on about earlier. It's just, just remember, folks, when you're when you get a decision from the VA, that that's not the end of it. Um, you, you probably don't want to tackle it by yourself. Um, I always use the analogy, if someone asked me to replace a carburetor in, a, in an engine, I wouldn't know what the heck to do. I'd probably dismantle the alternator and, you know, I'd screw it up. So, so my point being is that if, if, if you get a decision from the VA, don't try to tackle it on your own. Uh, find an attorney. Find an agent. Find a, a, a service officer, a credible service officer, and interview them. I mean, there are plenty of representatives out there, but but, but there there are representatives out there that you know you should interview, uh, because most of my clients, most of my veterans, they're going to get a good feel whether that particular service officer knows their stuff, and and if you have a bad feeling, go to a different service officer. So interview the service officers that can help you handle your appeal, and 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 trust that person. And, and go with what they say and, and work with that person. So that, that's the key. So when you get a decision from the VA, uh, if it's adverse, just know that that's not the end of the deal. Uh, you can file an appeal under the Appeals Modernization Act. It's important that uh, your advocate uh, selects the, the appropriate lane, whether it's the uh -huh. Board of Veterans Appeals lane or the higher level lane or the supplemental lane, uh, but, but it's got to be uh, one of those lanes. Yeah. Uh, you need some expert help because the regular veteran, most of it, uh, a lay veteran, just not schooled 
well enough or, or have dealt with them with all the regulations and what have you that uh, they can adequately uh, fight their claim uh, unless it's, you know, it's an open and shut, you know, deal. It's just a, a simple thing. Uh, or just not educated in, in the process. I, th I think education is the key, Gerald. And I've, I've met some very, very sharp, dedicated, uh, patriotic uh, VA officials who all they want to do is do right by the veteran. And I believe that. They have a big heart. Uh, but, but I think the key is education. I've always said that. Uh, and, and the second key is, 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 is manpower. Getting more uh, rating specialists getting more judges, getting more drills, getting more people within the Veterans Administration that develops these claims uh, so, so that the people that are doing it now aren't spread so thin and get so stressed out. Uh, the problem with that, obviously, is, is that their budget only allows them to do so much, and if you increase the budget, you increase the taxes, and no one wants to pay more taxes, but they want their claims done quicker. So, you know, it, 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 it's a conundrum. So I, I don't know what the answer is, except I've always said more VA officials, more manpower, and uh, better education and better oversight, I think, is, is the key, too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's so much easier just to get someone who knows what they're doing. Keep you out of trouble. Right, <laughs> right. right. Hey, and you, know, you, want nice, to, you want to screen them real good too. And, and Gerald, what I what I said before is is you know, I developed a relationship with a lot of these VA regional offices, uh, especially some of the key regional offices that handle appeals. The one out of St. Petersburg and and the one out of Saint, uh, Seattle, Washington, and and um, I developed a good relationship with uh, the managers that handle these appeals. They don't actually adjudicate the appeals, but they oversee. Uh, the people that do, and and they're very approachable. If you treat them professionally and with respect, they're going to do the same to you, and 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 uh, you don't burn your bridge, and and you don't overuse them. You don't run to them with every little thing. But if you have a case that really warrants attention, that that would save everyone a lot of time with an appeal. I've been able uh -huh. to go to these people and say, hey, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but you know if you look at Gerald Cook's claim, last four of the claim number, blah, blah, blah. This is what I'm thinking. You know, tell me I'm wrong because if, if, I don't want to have to appeal this and tie everything up, but nine times out of ten they come back and say, yeah, let's get this fixed. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. And, and, and it, so that, that's a success story. That is, yeah. And, um, you know, that makes it so much easier. Well, it cuts down on the on the load on the BA, it helps them get uh, get the veteran taken care of properly. And all this is meaningful. Uh, so, you know, in that respect, where you have a good rapport and you're up against a rock and hard spot, like say, you can pick up the phone and say, hey, what, uh, hey, explain this to me. <laughs> you know, yeah. I don't understand. Uh, uh, there's something uh, not right. Uh, 
And, and, and the beautiful thing about the VA, it's much like we, when we're in the military, there's always a chain of command. Um, yes. Yeah, and, and if you're not getting an email returned, if you're not getting a phone call returned, uh, the rating specialist answers to the assistant coach. The assistant coach uh, answers to the coach. Uh, the DRO answers to someone at drill. Uh, the veteran service center manager answers to the assistant director. The assistant director answers to the director, and the director answers to the uh, secretary of the Department of Veterans Affairs, and so on. So, I mean, there is a chain of command that I've been known to use, um, and 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 it doesn't always work. You know, you better have your ducks in a row. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's nice. You have that chain of command, and and you develop relationships with people at the VA and. And it, and it does work out, so it does help to kind of stroke the cat a little bit with the VA. Well, where they know that, you know, they get to know you and know you're you're sincere and you're not one to call rattle their cage every time you have to snip with your nose. Uh, when you do call them, it's something that's uh, serious and warrants uh, taking a look at. And they're going to pay a lot more attention to you. You know, everyone wants to to do the right thing, I think, for the most part, on our end and the VA's end. You're going to find those bad apples in the VA that ruins the apple cart. But I honestly believe that every everyone wants to do the right thing. I, I, I think most VA officials, just to even decrease their workload, they would like to write off an appeal and get it paid, get it done, get it out of their hair. Uh, but they also have to answer to their supervisor that uh, that may question why a particular claim wasn't was granted when it shouldn't have been. So they're very careful about that, and I understand that. But for the most part, if I contact them, I'm presenting a a legitimate uh, appeal gripe, so to speak. But uh-huh. uh, before we get out of here, Gerald, can I share my uh, email address and phone number? Would that be okay? Oh, you bet. You bet. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, if anyone wants to call and just kind of explain what's going on with their with their claim or appeal or whatever what's going on, you can reach me at area code 651, the Minneapolis-St. Paul area code, 651-303-3062. That's 651-303-3062. Uh, or you can email me. My email is uh, benefitsagent at comcast.net that's benefits b-e-n-e-f-i-t-s agent a-g-e-n-t at comcast.net well it's been a good show John and I appreciate your insight because uh, you know this is uh, now we know there's a backlog starting to power up and something to keep an eye on. Uh, there may be a detour around it we can take or, you know, whatever, whatever we can come up with. Uh, that'll help reduce that. And the VA, I'm certain, would be looking at that uh, to see what, uh, how can they get that moving more smoothly and and everything. So, all in all, it's uh, it's not the the veterans against the VA. It's veterans working with the VA to help better the whole system. 
and and the, the more apt we're doing that, the better off we all are. You're right. You're right. You can you can help yourself by putting together a, a smooth running tight claim, uh, give the VA something to work with. But on the other hand, uh, I'm not a proponent of the VA either. I mean, you can put the best claim forward and and they just take a you know what on it, and and you know so that that gets frustrating too. So. But all in all, put a good solid claim together, cover your bases, get some good medical records, get an advocate who knows what they're doing so they can coach you on compensation exams so they can help you put the claim together, uh, file the appropriate appeals, file the appropriate papers, uh, and have it written up properly. Uh, you save yourself a lot of time and a, a lot of anguish and effort. Yeah, you're right, John. So it's uh, everybody's got to do their part in order to be successful. And uh, even then, that's a rough road. But uh, like I say, I appreciate you coming on and hope to get you back on here real soon. Yep, you're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. Uh, and and uh, feel free to call on me anytime. Okay, and thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye. Okay. Pretty good show there, Mr. Cook. Well, thank you, John. John mm-hmm. did a good job. Uh, of course he did. He always does. Okay. Well, tune in next week. We might have a we might have a surprise guest next week. Well, we may have. Yeah. Uh, so. Who knows? Hey, you never know. You know. I mean, if you can survive your hip, my shoulder, and John's John Dorley's uh, uh, playing Frogger with a bicycle with a truck, <laughs> and still do a show, you know, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The the pain gang. <laughs> yes, with the walking wounded. <laughs> I think so. Of course, Boy. now you know we're all drawing a check from the VA. They want to call us the Walking Dead. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, that shows they're right. taken. Okay. Yeah. All right. So that's yeah. good. I think I'll go ahead and sh- go ahead and shut her down, and uh, uh, you and I will touch base shortly. Okay. We have yeah, a critique. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basher Show. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.